Westbrook Health Services has been supporting the surrounding community since 1949 and is known as an agency that is community-focused, people-driven. As one of West Virginia's 13 comprehensive behavioral health centers, Westbrook provides services to eight counties throughout the Mountaineer State and became one of the first comprehensive community behavioral health clinics in West Virginia in 2020. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the generous help of the Sisters Health Foundation. This year marks 25 years since the foundation awarded its first grant, and we couldn't be more grateful for their support. Welcome to Studio 2121. Hello and welcome again to our podcast, Studio 2121. And with me today is Samantha Winland. She is one of our peer support specialists. And I, Kevin Trippett, CEO at Westbrook, is the host today. And we will be talking about what it means to be a peer. Um, Samantha works for us as a peer in our northern counties, which includes Pleasants, Ritchie, and Tyler. And so I guess first thing I'd like to do is pose a question to um, Samantha. What is a peer support specialist? So a peer support specialist is a person with lived experience with mental health or substance use. And overall, I like to consider us a resource for people dealing with the same issues, disorders. Um, My job is to help people find their pathway to recovery. We kind of focus on four dimensions, and that is health, home, community, and purpose of life. So within that, you know, my overall goal is to help people find those, be be productive members of society, if you will. So you're talking about helping others. What do you think is the advantage of being a peer with helping somebody versus just a therapist or a case manager? I've been in their shoes. I walked in their shoes, you know, I think that really helps. Um, I had a peer um, support specialist help me find my way to recovery to um, treatment Mm -hmm. and looking back on it you know you can relate so much more or they feel more comfortable talking to you and the biggest thing is you know everybody's pathway is different so for me and clients you know this is what I did this is what I did after I got sober and we usually all need the same kind of help right Mm -hmm. so we need IDs, social securities HUD applications um, legal advice and who better than somebody that just went through that and can really walk you through all the steps. Right. Yes. You know, and that is a good point. A lot of individuals that are struggling with substance use disorder are in a place in our life. They don't have a driver's license. They've lost it. They don't have housing. They don't have food securities. Yes. Um, and, and so we do try to provide that help in any way that we can. We have funding available to help them get their ID back. Um, but that's where you come in. You yes. help um, these individuals get connected to the resources they need. That's part of the community access, getting involved in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and along the way, you know, it's stressful. So who better else to know somebody might be dealing with a trigger right there, an urge right there. That extra mm-hmm. hand, that extra guidance, it helps with us. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you think clients um, relate better to somebody with lived experience? Am I? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I do, and I see it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So what kind of experiences would qualify someone to be a peer? So you have to have um, lived experience in substance use or mental health. Um, you have to have sobriety dates of two years, um, proper training, education. What kind of training have you gone through so far? So I've done um, like the CCAR training. Um, I did my um, peer support specialist over DHHR. Um, and then throughout, I mean, I've done smart recovery trainings, um, Narcan trainings, um, just a whole bunch of lists, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. You, 
mentioning Narcan, we just had Save a Life Day, and yes. we were passed out a lot yes. of Narcan. Yes. Uh, and you were a participant mm -hmm. in that. We do like mental health training as well, just yeah. to get that aspect. How much Narcan do you guys give out in the community? So, at the Save a Life event, I know we did over about 50, just wow. at that um, Citrusville General Hospital. Um, we've had several other events. I would say since I've been in Westbrook, at least about 200. Okay. Mm -hmm. Have you had some clients that have had to use Narcan? Yes, I have. Out? Yes. Okay. Yes. Have they shared any of those experiences with you? You know, the last person I can think of that had a client that used it, he got it used on him. It saved his life. Yeah. You know, it's emotional. It saves his life. So, um, I've also myself been Narcan twice back in my addiction. And again, you know, I wouldn't be here if it mm -hmm. wasn't for Narcan. So, for me, um, it's a special part of my life. It's what's the reason I'm here. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, what's important about... If I was a um, client mm -hmm. and I was given a Narcan kit, is there anything that I need to know about proper storage or do I need to make others aware th that it's available, that kind of thing? Yeah. So I just had a client actually called me a day about mm -hmm. it. Um, we prescribed her some Narcan and she was like, why do I need this? Mm -hmm. And I said, you definitely need this. If you have a substance use um, disorder with any kind of opiates, right, heroin use, fentanyl, opiate mm -hmm. use, it's good to have. I carry Narcan right now. And yes, you know, you want them to carry room temperature. I always advise them, and it, it's hard. It is hard, and that's where a peer can step in mm -hmm. and show the family, show the friends, show the community. But you definitely want to advise somebody how to use it. It's so simple to use, you know. Um, there's two nasals in a box. You lay them down, you check the nasal, you call 911. Um, there's directions, but absolutely, you want to inform the closest people around you. Okay. That's good. I mean, it's great that we have those resources to yes. give to individuals. Yes. And I don't know if you've gotten a chance to watch. We recently created a video with another harm reduction kit with fentanyl testing. Um, we testing did that video. Yeah. Yes. Well, we're not only testing strips, but we also have a kit that you can test your drugs. I don't know if you've, we've just recently posted it on Facebook, but, um, so we're trying to start handing that out in the community as well. Yeah, so we've actually handed out some. So you've handed yes, those out we too? definitely okay. have, and um, we did that at the Save Life event as well. Okay. Yes. Have you had any clients use it yet? No, I have not. Okay. Yes. We're hopeful that we'll also help someone from overdosing, and, and of course, um, us handing these out, um, it creates a touch point, right? So we start talking with individuals and, and hopefully encourage them to get into treatment. But um, it, it is useful for us to be able to have some ways for outreach. Yes. So, yes, yeah, definitely. Um, so, you talked about um, to be a peer. You've had some personal experiences. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't mind sharing, what are some of the things that you've had to go through um, to get into recovery? Yeah, so um, this wasn't the path, you know, with my job position when I was younger growing up, expecting mm -hmm. myself to be, and I'm a business major. So, but there was a time in my life, it happened later in life for me, but I found myself dealing with uh, mental illness, substance use, legal issues, treatment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was about five years that I got into this later in life. Mm -hmm. um, after going through all these steps, um, it changes you. It really does change you. My passion completely changed from then. So that's when I knew for help myself, I mm -hmm. like helping others. That's where I'm at in my recovery. Um, it really does benefit me, but most of all, 
sharing my experience, again, going back mm -hmm. to what I can offer somebody that's dealing with the same disorders I am. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that can be very powerful. I hear that all yes. the time. Yes. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of treatment providers, but sometimes it's the person with the lived experience that really hits home with an individual um, that then connects them to our treatment provider so that we can get the services they need and, and get them on the right path. Um, you know, I had a conversation with you one time and it really struck me. Um, you talked about a time that you were um, in jail mm -hmm. and um, because of the um, pathways that you had developed, you got to snorting coffee. Yes, kefi. <laughs> yes. yes. And it wasn't yes. because it was making you high, it's because it was that experience. Mm -hmm. So and that's so like where the, that habit comes in, right? Mm -hmm. And we always, you know, we know about urges versus triggers. And yeah, so I never would have thought to snort kefi, you know, yeah. coffee. But at this time, um, how would I put this? At this time in my life, um, I was still numbing myself, right? I want to feel something. So when, yes, I was in jail and I noticed people <laughs> snorting coffee, why do we do that? Yeah. It's, it's just the same habit we're breaking of putting something in my nose, right? It's making me feel something, especially in jail. What a lost place that was for me. Um, but it becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting high from it. It's not addicting, um, but it does become a habit for, and funny story was with that, so this, after this time, I've done my jail time. I've done long-term treatment. I'm home. I have about a year and a half of sobriety under my belt. And I'm waking up in the morning and I'm going to the coffee pot, making my coffee. And but again, I have education in my belt, right? So I know my signs. I know um, tools I've learned. I can recognize a trigger and an urge. Mm -hmm. So I'm outside, I'm reading my daily reflections. I'm with my coffee and I just start feeling something. And I had to recognize it. I stopped. Mm -hmm. What is going on? What just happened? And I've only been up for an hour. Um, it took me a couple days. And then it hit me as I was making my coffee, mm -hmm. seeing the coffee grounds. There it goes. My urge, right? I'm right. having that mm -hmm. urge. Um, luckily, I was able to stop that. Mm -hmm. And I knew the tools I needed to. That's where us peers come in to help people find these tools, right? right. So I had to let my partner know. <laughs> How funny was that? You know, I'm having the urge to snort coffee. Right. Um, I go to meetings, evening meetings, recovery meetings, and I'm talking about it. You know, and it's laugh. People are laughing, going, "Really, <laughs> Samantha?" But truly, it is because I know myself, and I would consider snoring coffee a lapse. You know, I'm doing something to alter my brain, to feel right. something, and there's not a doubt in my mind that that urge can turn into a trigger, and that trigger can turn into a relapse. So if I were to start snorting coffee, that pain, just putting something in my nose, eventually it's not going to be good enough. I'm going to want to snort something else. And in my addiction, I used to snort pain medication. There would be. Mm -hmm. And then from pain medication, I led to methamphetamine. You know, so yeah. something as simple as coffee can trigger me enough to go back into addiction and relapse. I had to handle it, something I talked about my therapist at meetings. I'm going to tell you the truth, too. <laughs> he'll, he'll watch this. Yeah. I'm over that, but right. he still makes my coffee. Precautious, right? We want to go to the extreme when it comes to sobriety. And it could be something as simple as having him make my coffee every right. morning to avoid seeing the coffee grounds. Yeah. Yes. You know, and I think that's something um, the public doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. that if you've never dealt with um, addiction issues, is how minor something can be that yes. causes a trigger Absolutely. and if you haven't built up those skills um, to recognize it it can lead you right back down the path yes again.
Yes. That's why uh, I think the statistics for someone that's dealing with an opioid disorder, it takes them nine, ten times in the different starts in the treatment before it sticks. Absolutely. Just because they haven't built up that skill base yet. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then you're fighting more than just the addiction. Then it goes right back to that habit. Yeah. You know, the routine. That's hard to break. It is hard to break. Yeah. So, um, what do you like about working at Westbrook? <sighs> well, I like helping people. So again, um, you know, recovery, there, there's so much more to sobriety. I mean, to recovery than mm -hmm. just sobriety. Right. And for me, in my recovery, I'm at that place that, that helps me to help others. Mm -hmm. Then you, um, it's a huge life change that happened to me. I feel like now it's a passion. Mm -hmm. I'm going to help somebody. So before I started working at Westbrook, I was volunteering with the Creek Response Team on my own. It was something I wanted to do. Um, and then I realized there's peers available. Mm -hmm. I need to get involved in this somehow. Um, I think, you know, the success, the success that comes with it. You yeah. hear success stories and it makes you feel good. It makes it a purpose. And like, again, I'm also in recovery. And just like I mentioned, health, home, purpose, community, mm -hmm. I found my purpose and that's working in recovery. Yeah. Yes. You mentioned the quick response team. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember when we first set our, a quick response team up for us, um, mm -hmm. we started it here in Wood County. Um, it is one of the most life-changing things I think we could do as an agency mm -hmm. is we go out to individuals um, when we're notified that they've had a recent overdose and we could find them in a community. Yes, and that's how do, Pleasance County does. Yeah, mm -hmm. we do anything and everything we can to go locate them. Um, as long as they've given verbal permission at the time of the overdose that we can do so. And we take a police officer out, we take um, someone from a local EMT, mm -hmm. um, we do that for safety, um, mm -hmm. not only for medical concerns, but um, environmental concerns. Mm -hmm. um, and we've, we've changed a lot of lives because of it. Yes. Um, and the, the police officer enjoys the work that goes on. Um, they understand the, their need that we've yes. had in, a case where we showed up at a house and um, an individual had a gun. Well, lo and behold, it was a squirt gun, ah. but nobody knew that. Um, but the police officer was immediately in action, making sure that it was a safe environment. But um, so yeah, so I mean, hearing the work that the quick response teams do is, is very yes. um, passionate thing for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Same here. Same I'm here. glad that you've been a part of those teams. Yeah, that was so, like uh, I said, I did that as soon as I came back. Um, the, my peer um, support specialist that helped me was involved with it. Mm -hmm. He says, just jump on in. And I did. And I think the biggest thing with that is getting the community involved, understanding the purpose of that. You know, if you can catch somebody at the right time, it makes a huge difference. Right. It really does. And I think that's where the quick response seat comes in, catching them at the right time. Yeah. Yes. So, so you've been in recovery for some time now. Yes. So what are some coping skills that you have learned that might be something that you could share with the public? Accountability. <laughs> I love accountability. That's what's helped me. Okay. And, you know, at first you, I'm not able to hold myself accountable, so I allow others to hold myself accountable. And it can be anything, you know. I say Westbrook holds people accountable, mm -hmm. you know. Um, legal helps hold people accountable. Eventually you can teach yourself tools to help hold yourself accountable. Therapy. I do believe in mental illness. Um, and the moment I started involving myself as a therapist, expressing my feelings, recognizing stuff, that truly helps me. Um, 12 steps. I, I do believe going to recovery meetings, being part of it. Um, my whole life does revolve around recovery, um, even outside of work. 
Um, so these are the tools that's helped me along these ways. Is that difficult, um, trying to get somebody else to hold you accountable? Because like all your life, you yes. know, you're trying to learn to yes. be on your own, and now you're asking someone else mm -hmm. to, to hold you accountable. Yes, when the legal system's holding you accountable, <laughs> you have no choice on that right. one, but then you accept, right? Mm -hmm. So I always said there was a time during my addiction, right, that three things happened to me. And part of those three things, you know, um, so I surrendered. I accepted and I had an awakening mm -hmm. and acceptance is a big part. I accepted who I am. I have, you know, I live my life different than I did prior to my addiction. So from 27 on, I live my life different from 27 over. I'm a changed person mm -hmm. and I know every day I do things differently and I've accepted that. And yes, um, it's hard, you know, especially when you have control issues, mm -hmm. you, it's hard to let people in doesn't take many. It could be just one and two mm -hmm. to hold yourself accountable. Um, the magic thing about this program too is things start holding you accountable. My daughter who's eight holds me accountable without realizing she holds me accountable. Mm -hmm. It's acceptance. Accept it. Don't fight it. And that's the hard part, you know. Yeah, that's great. So when, when stress starts building, Mm -hmm. um, I imagine that's probably the most likely time that a relapse can happen is when someone has a lot of stressful times going on in their life. So how do you manage stress now to keep those triggers from happening or affecting you? I like to stay busy. Mm -hmm. So I do stay busy. I do three meetings a week. Um, therapy's there. Um, my support group, it could be a sponsor. It could be a friend. We all know that's Ashley Will Hoyt. <laughs> yep. So um, having a good support group. Um, for me, I need to express what am I feeling, what am I thinking. Mm -hmm. um, I used to do a lot of writing, but the biggest thing would be staying busy, you know, staying busy. Um, I do believe in 12 steps, so I live my life a certain way. Um, prayer, again, for me, that works. Mm -hmm. Now, I will just to mention that for, you know, everybody's different. And for me, I have to focus more on when everything's going great rather than when I'm stressed. Um, a lot of people say, you know, relapse can come when you're stressed or depressed or down. Some people, it actually can come complete opposite. Okay. It's when you're feeling great. Everything's mm -hmm. going great. Um, you know, we live in that in moment. Mm -hmm. You don't think of consequences can really hit you too. I try to pay attention a lot on my mental illnesses. Right. Recognize when I'm going through a manic episode. Recognize when I'm just feeling off. And the cool thing is the people I have close to me, they recognize it. I trust them. Mm -hmm. They can spot something, say, you know, we're sensing something. And I trust them enough to step back, um, reflect, figure out what's going on. Um, it might be not making, making too many big decisions at that time. Yeah. You mentioned um, sometimes it's when you're feeling great. Yeah. I mean, I've actually, I've heard that and I didn't even think of it at yes. the time, but we have individuals that um, take medications for different things mm -hmm. and the medication's working, so they feel good. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden they don't think they need the medication yes. anymore. So I imagine it's similar to that. You, your guardrails come off. Yes. And so um, I do complete abstinence, so I don't take medications. However, I can recognize signs and until not, medication is very necessary in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, when your mental state is not right, you'll be so easy to relapse. I've seen people say, oh, I'm doing good, I'm, I'm there, and then they stop taking that medication mm -hmm. and there you start feeling it. And it can happen so fast. Yeah. Yes. 
so one last thing I want to talk about today, and, and this has been a great conversation. Um, we do a lot of work with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. We um, we partner with them. We feel that, that they're a valuable resource. Mm -hmm. We hope that they feel the same about us. And mm -hmm. so can you share maybe some of your experiences? I know we've had conversations in the past of how you've worked with law enforcement on different things. Yes. Yeah, so again, community outreach. You know, I went through the legal system for my sobriety. So again, I have a passion there, right? Um, small town, um, you know, we might get referrals from all kinds of places, you know. So it could be benefit to understand there's more to this um, than just going to jail. Right. Right. We need to deal with this. We need to actually diagnose this. Um, so, yes, I get referrals all the time from the courthouses in both Ritchie and Pleasance County, and we set them up with IOP, Relapse Prevention, um, Continuously Management Program, which focuses on meth use. Um, helping educate what is going on so we don't have a repeat defender. Right. Yes. So our goal is then um, to avoid jail time, come mm -hmm. get treatment. And not only will we help you get in path recovery, we can keep you out of the legal system mm -hmm. and hopefully get you on a path to working and, yes. and reconnecting with your family yes. and, and all those sorts of great things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Well, Samantha, thank you. It's been a great conversation today. Um, and if any of you are experiencing any issues um, with addiction, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We have a crisis line. It is 485-1725. Uh, if you're having any suicidal tendencies, you can also call that number for that. Any type of help. We'll be more than happy to have a conversation with you. And also, there is a National hot Suicide Prevention Hotline out. That number has changed to 988, just the mere 911, so it's an easy number to remember. So please don't hesitate to reach out anytime you're having difficulties. Thank you.